Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Sawadikap. Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today I'll be sharing with you a podcast discussion that I had with Hannah Stainer of the Psyche Podcast. She does a podcast out of the United Kingdom that focuses on mental well-being, and she shares information to help people understand how to best care for your mental well-being. She invited me onto her show to discuss Buddhist teachings and meditation. So this is a great introduction to Buddhist teachings and meditation. I'm sure you'll find some great insight and wisdom in this discussion to help you on the path to enlightenment. Hi everyone, welcome back. And I'm really, really happy and excited to welcome this week's guest, David, to the podcast. So David, welcome. And if you could introduce yourselves to us. Sure, my name is David Roylands. I was born in Washington, DC and now reside in Chiang Mai, Thailand with my wife and my son. And I teach Buddhist teachings to help people train the mind to eliminate discontent feelings like sadness, anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, boredom, loneliness, shyness, things like this. Amazing. I'm sure there's definitely a lot of those that lots of people are feeling a whole mix of at the moment. Um, I wonder if we can go back to um, yeah, how you got to uh, to be where you are now and teaching people um, about Buddhism. Was it something that you were you were raised as as a Buddhist, or was it something that you discovered sort of through your life? When I grew up, my family never impressed upon any teachings that I should or shouldn't follow. They just kind of let me do my own thing. So early in life. I explored a lot of different backgrounds. I was in and out of every kind of church you could imagine in America with my friends in different places. I even spent time with people from Muslim teachings and Jewish teachings and other backgrounds and never really found a real depth of understanding and maybe I just didn't understand how to pursue the teachings. I definitely found some comfort in Jesus Christ teaching. There was definitely some interesting things there, but I didn't really understand what the goal was or what we were really aspiring to do. I didn't understand the practice aspect of the teachings. I just thought it was about memorizing scriptures and things like this. And as I was growing up, I always kind of had this interest in a better life. And I always felt like my life was kind of a little bit disappointing for, you know, lack of a better word. I was pretty much a juvenile delinquent growing up. I was into all kinds of bad stuff and, you know, not really having much direction in life and parental guidance and things like this. 
And for one reason or another, I just started spending a lot of time around Asian people. And I noticed that they had things that I didn't have. They had real closeness in their families. They had politeness and kindness. They had respect for each other. They really treated each other really well. And this isn't something that I was brought up with. I was brought up with hostility and anger and aggression and these kinds of things. So I was spending time with Filipino people, Indonesian, uh, Vietnamese, Chinese, all different types of background, Koreans. And people told me that someday I would really love Thailand if I ever found you know, Thailand. And at that time, I didn't even know what Thailand was. I thought they were mispronouncing Taiwan. And at one point, I did meet a Thai person. And I'll like, say, oh, it's a real place because this is a Thai person. And I convinced her to bring me to Thailand. We were in America. And when I went to Thailand the first time in December 2002, I was really blown away with this family values and the respect and appreciation and kindness and politeness. And on that trip, I found traditional Thai massage. I got exposure to it. And at that time, I was in business and computers. And I decided I was going to bring Thai massage back to America. And that's what I did. So in Washington, D.C., I started opening up Thai massage centers for people to receive Thai massage. And shortly thereafter, people started asking me to teach it as well. And in teaching Thai massage, I decided I wasn't interested in just teaching the technique of Thai massage, that I understood having saw Thai massage in Thailand, that it was part of this cultural fabric that was inseparable. So in our classes, people would sign up for Thai massage, but they would end up learning about Thai culture, which is based on Buddhist teachings. So people were learning all these great life lessons to apply to their massage practice, but also their daily life as well. And I ended up publishing a book, or actually two books, and ended up becoming very, very successful in that. But ultimately, I always knew the goal was to move to Thailand. So my Thai wife and I and our son in 2015 moved to Thailand for the first time. And we had been coming here quite often, quite a lot. So it was kind of finally a relief to kind of come here and stay and not have to actually go back. And, you know, when you expatriate from your country and you live in a place like Thailand, it kind of feels like I'm on holiday every single day and I've just never gone back to America. And now I live in this community of people in Thailand that are deeply practicing these Buddhist teachings. So you get a lot of peacefulness, a lot of kindness, a lot of generosity, a lot of care, a lot of uh, just really good, wholesome people that aren't judging you and trying to put you down. Everybody's very encouraging and supportive. I think they are, um, they're all you know, brilliant values that you've just listed there that are, that are great ones to try and um, embody and, and to live your life in that way. And uh, for anyone who's listening who doesn't really know that much about Buddhism and, and Buddhist teaching, would you be able to give a sort of brief, I know we could probably talk for a very long time um, about Buddhism, but a kind of brief overview of, um, of what it's about? Sure. There's essentially three main branches of Buddhist teachings. And then there's lots of smaller sects as well. But the three primary branches, the first one is Theravada Buddhism, 
which means teachings of the elders. This is the tradition of Buddhist teachings that is considered to be the closest to the teachings that the Buddha actually taught during his lifetime. And this group of practitioners and teachers aren't interested in changing the teachings. They're interested in practicing what the Buddha actually taught. And then later, all the other traditions and branches start to change and modify the different teachings. In the Buddhist teachings during his lifetime, his teachings aren't based on belief. They're not based on believing him about anything. It's based on the universal truths or the natural laws of existence. And through learning these natural laws, you can learn them. But then when you practice the teachings, you can see that they actually work and you gain wisdom around the teachings. And by learning this wisdom and seeing it independently for yourself, then you can see the teachings are actually working. And what you do is you're actually training the mind. So some people call it like Buddhist psychology, or they call it a philosophy or a better way of life, not a religion. Because a religion is kind of like an organized faith-based practice, a central organization, kind of disseminating information with rites and rituals and obligations for people to practice. But the Buddhist teachings, they don't actually reside in any central organization. There's no central organization responsible for collecting the teachings. But instead, what you have is a vast plethora of teachers and practitioners who are sharing the teachings. And by you learning them with a teacher who really deeply understands them, you should be able to independently see the truth in the teachings for yourself because they're not based on belief. And the training that you're doing with the mind is you're training the mind towards this enlightened mental state. Essentially what you're doing is you're training the mind to eliminate discontent feelings. You're working to eliminate sadness, anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear, boredom, loneliness, shyness, resentment, jealousy. And through learning the teachings and applying them in your daily life, you can see that the condition of your mind is gradually improving. So you can actually see the results for yourself right now. That's the difference between learning the truth and acquiring wisdom and seeing the results because you can see the results now rather than learning something that you just need to believe and then you don't know if it's true or not until you die. And at that point, it's almost kind of like too late, right? So the beauty in the Buddhist teachings is that you can see the truth right now that the condition of the mind is gradually improving to this peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy where your mind is permanently peaceful, permanently calm, permanently serene, permanently content and joyful, meaning you never experience any anger or frustration, all those discontent feelings that I mentioned. The mind never experiences those anymore once you attain this enlightened mental state. But you can see how your mind is gradually progressing to that all the way through. So you have dedication and commitment to actually learning and practicing the teachings. And that's one of the things that, that in particular, you know, appeals to me. And there's something I have your, your book, Developing a Life Practice, literally right next to me, <laughs> a bit yeah. underlined about that idea of it's not based on belief and that you see the truth 
for yourself. And as someone, I'm quite a logical, scientific person. So that's something that you know appeals to me. That being able to test it and 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 see it and and feel uh, the impact. Um, and I think um, you know for for anyone who's listening, um, and, and I know we'll talk later about your Facebook group and, and some of the resources that you have if people want to uh, find out you know more, more about um, Buddhist teaching. Um, but you know, for people listening who may be listening to that idea of the mind being completely free of all these uh, kind of negative um, emotions, that maybe sounds too good to be true. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I wonder if we could talk a little bit about what that process looks like, what that daily life practice would look like to yeah. move towards. Yeah, and that's the beauty that um, even though I'm presenting this and sharing this with you and your listeners, they can see the truth for themselves right from the beginning when you first start learning with a teacher. If you are studying with a teacher that really understands enlightenment, you should be able to see in your first couple of minutes with that person how they're able to help you see the truth for yourself that's not based on belief. So the Buddha provided various discourses or various teachings and through learning these teachings you can learn them but then what you do is you take that knowledge that he shared and then you investigate it and you apply it yourself in practice to see the truth for yourself and daily what we do is we meditate there's essentially two meditations that the Buddha taught, even though there's hundreds and thousands of meditations that are taught today, these are all modifications that people came up with. But in this tradition that I share, we're only interested in what the Buddha actually taught because he was the Buddha. So we practice these two types of meditation and what they're doing is they're training the mind to eliminate what we call craving or desire or attachment. And then the other one is meant to cultivate loving kindness. So the meditation is part of your daily practice, but then you go out in daily life and you actually practice the teachings which are laid out in what's called the Eightfold Path. And the Eightfold Path lays out this path to enlightenment of things that you would do in daily life in order to train the mind in order to practice these teachings. Things like practicing harmlessness, not harming other beings, practicing non-ill will, non-aggression, non-hatred, practicing things like right speech, where we speak at the right time, what we say is true, what we say is spoken gently, when we speak we speak beneficially or with purpose we speak with a mind of loving kindness or active goodwill for other beings we speak in a way that is blameless so essentially our speech isn't harming others through our speech and then we practice things like what's called right action where we're not causing harm through our bodily action we practice right livelihood where we're not causing harm through the way that we sustain our life through our livelihood and then there's other aspects that go into mental discipline and training the mind but there's these eight steps that essentially we just need to learn and implement as a life practice and it's all based around not causing harm to other beings because if we cause harm to others that harm will come back to us this is the natural law of gamma or karma And just like the natural law of gravity, 
we all need to awaken to this natural law of gamma. So when we were children, we didn't understand this natural law of gravity. We just knew we kept falling down or our toys kept breaking or, you know, we just kept tripping and falling and we couldn't walk up steps. And eventually we got the wisdom to understand this natural law of gravity. And now we can move around the earth very peacefully and very easily. Well, this natural law of gamma is very similar to the natural law of gravity in that people are unaware of it. People don't have the wisdom to understand what this natural law is. It's not this mystical, magical punishment and rewards and all of this kind of stuff. It's essentially good, wholesome decisions that we make produce good, wholesome results. And when we make unwholesome decisions, we get unwholesome results. So if I was speaking rude or impolite or disrespectful, you wouldn't want to talk to me. You wouldn't invite me to on your show. You know, I would have problems in the community with people around me. But through the Buddhist teachings, we learn about this natural law of gamma and how to ensure that our moral conduct and our mental discipline is in such a way that we're not causing harm to others. And by awakening to the wisdom of this natural law, then you will be able to more peacefully coexist with other people in the world, just like you're more able to peacefully exist with the natural law of gravity. You're able to peacefully coexist with others through learning about and practicing the natural law of gamma. And I definitely try and, uh, and follow this in my own life. And actually it's quite interesting this, uh, this past week, I had a couple of interviews about volunteering in a sort of counseling type role and trying to articulate an interview situation that actually the way I try and live my life is being non-judgmental and right speech, right, you know, it's quite difficult sometimes mm -hmm. to articulate, but I was, you know, I was trying to think about, well, where does that come from? And I think a lot is from the, the practice and, and the teachings and that it does change kind of who you are or how you show up in the world, I think, and in a, a better way, more peaceful way, I think. Yeah, when you get this wisdom of the Buddhist teachings, and the reason why it's wisdom is because you independently verify it yourself. You're not just believing his teachings, you're understanding them and then applying them so you see the wisdom and you know it's the truth. And by doing that, it changes the mind, how the mind actually functions in the world, because you no longer see it beneficial to be hostile or angry or frustrated because you know that it just leads to your own discontent mind and it causes problems in the world because you see it for yourself. And through learning this wisdom, it changes the mind and then you start functioning in the world very differently and your life and your mind gradually improve with more and more peacefulness around you and around your daily life. And things just go so much better and so much smoother for you in your personal and professional life. I mean, hopefully, <laughs> my professional life will go smoothly. I think the, the loving kindness as well, I think that changes the way you see other people when you have uh, that practice. And uh, yeah. Um, so I wonder if we could dive into meditation in a little bit more depth if anyone's listening and thinking, I've heard about meditation, I can't meditate because that's something that people will say a lot. Um, and how people can add it in uh, to their own practice. And for anyone who has a, a different faith background, so for example, someone's a Christian, whether it's something that they can incorporate alongside their existing kind of faith 
structure. Sure, that's a great place to start because most people don't realize that Jesus Christ actually talked about meditation in the Bible. There's at least 20 different references in the Bible to meditation and things like loving kindness and generosity and compassion and, you know, love thy neighbor and all of these teachings that Jesus and the Buddha were teaching were so very similar. They would be best friends if they lived during the same time. And the beauty about Gautama Buddha's teachings that are approachable by Christians is that the Buddha never said he was a god. He never said he was a messiah. He never said he was a lord or anything like this. He never asked to be worshipped or anything like that. So a Christian can actually practice Gautama Buddha's teachings. And what they'll probably find is they'll understand Jesus's teachings even more deeply because Jesus was only really teaching for a few years before they killed him. And the people that were left behind were kind of like only partially aware of his teachings and wrote down kind of what they remembered, where Gautama Buddha had 45 years to teach and made sure that a lot of people understood his teachings before he actually died and that there was a lot of enlightened people around before he died. So Jesus just died and was killed essentially before he really had time to share everything that it was that he probably was interested to share. You know, for those people that are Christians and have a belief in God, do we really think that all of God's wisdom is in just one little book, right? God, if people believe in God, has a lot more wisdom than just that. And Gautama Buddha's teachings are in 45 different volumes of books that are very, very thick. And the meditation that people can do that it comes from the Buddhist tradition can really improve their life. And what the two goals of the two primary types of meditation that the Buddha taught is one is to eliminate what we call craving or desire or attachment where the mind latches on and holds on. It has kind of a longing with a strong eagerness. We have this objects of our affection. And if we don't get those things, then we cause the mind to be discontent. So if we want a new car, the mind just kind of wraps around that and pursues it and pursues it and pursues it. And if we don't get it in a timely fashion, the mind becomes sad or angry or frustrated. Or even if we get it and then, you know, somebody dings the paint or does something to it, then we get so frustrated and angry and we start blaming other people for damaging our car. And we think that they're the ones who are actually making us angry. But in reality, we're actually making ourselves angry because we are latching on. We have this longing and strong eagerness for the car to be permanent. We want the car to look permanently pristine. And when we see that little scratch or we see somebody dinged it or whatever, or a rock hit the windshield, we get really frustrated and angry in the unenlightened state. So this first style of meditation, breathing mindfulness meditation, it trains the mind to let go of thoughts and ideas and perceptions. It let go of the past, let go of the future, and really root the mind in the present moment so the mind doesn't hold on so tightly. And what this does is by eliminating this craving, desire, attachment, this mental longing with a strong eagerness, what you notice is instead of being angry, it goes to frustration, to irritation, to annoyance, to a, a kind of a dislike. And over time, as you train your mind, you completely eliminate those feelings entirely. 
You no longer get angry. You no longer have frustration because you've eliminated this longing with a strong eagerness. And now the mind can just reside peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. So this is the primary style of meditation that the Buddha taught, which is breathing mindfulness meditation. And that will help to eliminate this aggression, this hostility, this frustration that we have. And then the other form of meditation that he taught is what we call loving kindness meditation, where the first style, breathing mindfulness meditation, we're training the mind through an active, dedicated, purposeful training session to eliminate the unwholesome root of craving or desire or attachment. Through loving kindness meditation, we're actually cultivating in the mind this active goodwill towards all beings without judgment, starting with yourself and then cultivating that for other people as well. So that then when you cultivate this in meditation, when you progress through your daily life and you interact with people, you now will practice, you have, will have a tendency to practice loving kindness or active goodwill towards all beings in your daily life. And by practicing this way with others, because of the natural law of gamma, by you treating people with love and care and generosity and compassion and kindness, that's what will come back to you. The reason why we have hostility in our life is because we're hostile to other people or we're aggressive with other people. So that's what comes back to us. So all the Buddhist teachings are all about training your mind to improve the life practice or the condition of your mind. And by developing a life practice, you now clean up your own mind. And now through practicing these teachings in a good, wholesome way, lots of good, wholesome things will happen for you now in this life. And you can see the results of that in this life. You don't have to wait until death. You can actually see the condition of the mind improve. And Christians can do this as well because, you know, Jesus Christ talked about meditation as part of his teachings as well. Amazing. And I wonder if you could give us a little uh, insight maybe into your daily practice, your, um, yeah, how, how this sort of looks for you. And, and, you know, for someone who's just starting out, maybe it will look quite different to, to your practice. Um, but, yeah, just a, a bit of insight would be nice to yeah so everybody's practice is different you know this is the universal truth of impermanence that every there's no constant steady fixed state you know it's not about everybody doing things exactly the same but there are certain aspects of the path that we all know we need to do like breathing mindfulness meditation loving kindness meditation so i wake up in the morning and the first thing i do is i meditate and i do breathing mindfulness meditation and then I go throughout my day, I do my teaching, I teach online, I have a podcast, do videos, have a Facebook group, I teach in person, have online classes, things like this. I am a father, husband, have uh, a job that I do a little bit of work on the side, you know, just kind of a few hours a week. And then sometime in the evening before going to bed, I will typically meditate before going to sleep as well. And Oftentimes, if I'm teaching or just depending on what's going on, I might be meditating in the middle of the day, too. But usually the best way to start off is just to kind of start off with once a day and build up that practice. And then as you feel the results of that and you see things improving, move to like twice a day. 
And that's really kind of like what someone would typically do is kind of morning and evening do meditation. If they have more time, they can meditate in the middle of the day too. And they'll notice the truth for themselves is that through meditating, the mind will improve. This is why it's not based on belief that you can see the effects of the meditation yourself. I no longer actually do loving kindness meditation for myself. I teach it and I do it with students, but I've eliminated hatred and anger and ill will and frustration and irritation and all those things have been eliminated from the mind. So I don't need to do loving kindness meditation anymore. But at one time I used to do a lot of that because I did have a lot of anger and aggression in the mind. But through that practice, I no longer need to do loving kindness meditation. But in your daily life, you're practicing the teachings, you're evolving the mind and and observing your own thoughts, your speech, your actions, observing how you interact with people. It's really kind of like the best self-help program that ever would exist because it's your independent practice that you're improving your own life practice but you need a teacher, you need a guide, you need somebody to help you understand the teachings, but you're responsible for doing the work to do things like practice loving kindness, practice compassion, practice what we call sympathetic joy or non-jealousy, practice equanimity, you know, practice eliminating the ego, practice speaking politely and kind to people, all of these things and there's no one around judging you whether you're doing it well or you're not it's your own individual practice but having a teacher is paramount you have to have a teacher you wouldn't be able to just read a book and become enlightened you would need guidance from a teacher who understands the path to enlightenment so that you can be guided along that path and learn the teachings only a buddha would be able to awaken the mind to enlightenment without the help of any teachers. That's one of the criteria of what a Buddha is, is that they actually become enlightened on their own without the help of anyone else. Then they share their teachings and other people become enlightened as well during their lifetime and after their death. And because we can tell when the mind is improving the condition, if you have anger and frustration, you're going to observe for yourself as the mind's improving. So that's how people knew that their mind was improving through the teachings that the Buddha shared. They could see, wow, this guy, his teachings are really working. And he figured this out by himself. No one taught him this. He discovered it on his own. He's a Buddha. That's how they knew that he was a Buddha. Thank you for that. And I guess your um that shows you mentioned the impermanence that loving kindness was something you practiced and now um don't don't need to on a on a um a daily basis um and so you're saying for someone starting out sort of once a day is is quite a good uh, t- amount of time or um regularity to aim for is there a sort of minimum amount of time to get the benefits from meditating or is it just kind of what works it's what works for each person you know it's not uncommon for people to just start out with five or ten minutes a day for a little while but then what's going to happen is they're going to naturally see the benefits and it's kind of like a snowball you on your own will start expanding that wider and wider and 
I never really give a time of how long someone should meditate because I've meditated for one or two minutes before and my sons walked in and asked me to go play with them. And I was like, okay, I'll go. But I got benefit out of that one or two minutes. And I've meditated for a half hour, 45 minutes or an hour and gotten benefit with that as well. So the benefits of meditation, they accumulate. They're accumulative. So it's kind of like a bucket. If you're not meditating now, you kind of have like an empty bucket. And as you meditate, each time you're scooping water into this bucket because the mind is thirsty. It's very thirsty. It needs this water. Well, if you went to a trough of water and you could only scoop a half a scoop of water or you could take three big scoops, of course, you would like to take the three big scoops. But if all you have time for is just a little tiny you know, half a scoop of water, yeah, you're still going to get benefits. The, the bucket's still going to get full. So it's not about each individual session has to be a certain period of time. It's more about developing a life practice where over a consistent, dedicated period of time, you're gradually progressing and you're adding water to your bucket more and more and more. And I guess you also said about when you go about your daily life, sort of, um, taking these things into it and and you know i think when you sometimes read about meditation and uh, from people who are just they're not really doing buddhist meditation they're just doing uh, a form of meditation um for mental health or um for well-being and they'll sit for 10 minutes or however and then they'll go back into their life and nothing will have changed and they'll still be really stressed and they'll still be really angry and they still won't be being present um so yeah, I think that's something that, that you highlighted. It's maybe worth reminding people that, yes, having that meditation practice is a really important part of it, but it's also, like you were saying, all of those values and that way you live your life. Um, yeah, the, they're important too. the Buddhist path has eight steps on it. Meditation is one of those steps. So meditating for five minutes or five hours and then going outside and expecting everything to have changed is kind of equivalent to praying and then expecting to go outside and everything's going to be perfect for you. What meditation is, is it's one step on the path, but we need to take the benefits of that meditation and then practice in daily life. That's our life practice. That's the eightfold path where you can't just meditate your way to enlightenment and that's all you do is meditate. You actually have to bring the teachings. You have to bring the path into your daily life. And this is one of the beauties about Gautama Buddha's teachings is they're so simple, so clear, so precise. That's what makes them so profound because they're so easy to learn that you can implement them in your daily life because you can carry them around in the mind. So if somebody only meditates and if they're only meditating with like an, a phone app, or a guided meditation, somebody speaking to them all the time, they're not really meditating the way that the Buddha taught. And that's the beauty of having a teacher like me to provide guidance is you can learn exactly what the Buddha taught and that way you'll get more benefit out of your meditation itself. But then you will also get all this other information about the entire path so you know how to practice the teachings in your daily life so that you're not just meditating and hoping everything goes well afterwards, but you're meditating as just one step of everything you're doing all day long as you're practicing the teachings. 
You mentioned uh, the kind of phone apps there and guided meditations. And for someone who's starting out, what's your your thoughts on those um, as a, a tool for people who are starting with meditation? If somebody has started with a phone app or a guided meditation, that's great that they have kind of a habit or a discipline of sitting down or standing or lying or walking meditation, the four positions, that they actually have developed the self-discipline to actually meditate regularly. But those meditations aren't going to lead to enlightenment. They're not going to lead to this permanently peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy because it's not training the mind in the way that it needs to be trained in order to reach this enlightened mental state. So at the end of the meditation, they might feel more peaceful, they might feel more calm, they might feel better, but because they haven't informed their life practice with the teachings of what goes along with meditation and everything else that they need to practice in daily life, they're only going to feel peaceful and calm for a limited period of time just right after the meditation. It's going to wear off pretty quickly because they're not practicing all the other teachings and the meditation that they're practicing isn't the style of meditation that's going to actually transform the mind into this enlightened mental state. So if somebody is really interested in eliminating sadness, anger, frustration, guilt, shame, fear, boredom, loneliness, resentment, jealousy, all of these things, then they really should be working with a teacher where they learn the teachings with a teacher and they have somebody to seek guidance with. So that's why I have online classes twice a week. I have a book, an audio book, podcast, videos, in-person classes, retreats. I also accept invitations to go places if people invite me to go. And then not only are they learning the real style of meditation taught by the Buddha, but they're getting all the teachings and resources they need to support this continuous growth and learning along the entire path throughout them learning and implementing these teachings. And the beauty is that they will see the results right away. I've taught classes and I've taught students where, you know, the first couple of hours or after one or two days of learning, they can see the effects right away. They can see the benefits and lasting benefits, real change in the condition of the mind. And this is where students know that it's not based on belief because they can see the impact to their life right away. Brilliant. Thank you. Uh, yes, so much for, for all of that kind of insight. And you, and again, you mentioned your, your book and your podcast. And uh, right at the end, we'll give people uh, where they can find those so they can dive in a bit more. Uh, but I have some set questions I ask everyone that comes on, and I'd love to hear your, um, your thoughts on these. Sure. And the first one, and yeah, this one is um, one of my buzzwords I talk about a lot. And you've mentioned uh, this word uh, quite a few times. So uh, my question is, what brings you joy? in your life? So in our practice, we don't look for things to bring us joy because that's seeking joy externally. So the enlightened mind isn't going to have like my son brings me joy, my wife brings me joy, helping students bring me joy. We don't have these kind of things because an enlightened mind is already joyful without any conditions. So I enjoy sharing these teachings with people, but if I wasn't doing that, 
the mind would still be joyful, right? I enjoy spending time with my son, but when I'm not with my son, that's okay too. But my joyfulness isn't attached or based on spending time with my son. So when I'm not with my son, I don't miss him. I don't wish I was with him. I don't wonder what he's doing. I don't worry about him. I don't have all these fears of what might be happening to him. I just, okay, he's gone and he goes to school. And then when he comes back, okay, well, I've got some time. Let's spend time together. I find everything joyful in the world because my mind isn't holding on or looking for joy in any one particular thing. Amazing. I think you're the first person who's had that that answer, that just being in that, that state of joy, just the, the natural state of the mind. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we, I, I was going to say, when you remove all the conditions of looking for joy in any one particular thing, then the mind can be joyful with anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm interested in the, the next question, because again, this one quite often is attached to things for people. So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, your response this one as well and that's about what makes life meaningful for you i think everything's meaningful right part of this practice is bringing the mind into the present moment and being peaceful calm serene and content with joy in the present moment no matter what's happening just being satisfied with what is so every single interaction that i have whether it's with someone like you who's interviewing for a podcast or whether it's a street vendor where I buy some food or whether it's a street sweeper who sweeps our village streets or whether it's going to a government facility and interacting with the government, I find meaning in all of these interactions and I just always smile and be pleasant and be kind and friendly and I find meaning in every interaction and everything that I do. Amazing, thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, so my, my next two questions... Uh, around mental wellness and mental well-being, which is the the big overall uh, point of the podcast, I guess. So what does mental wellness mean to you? Mental wellness to me is a stable, steady mind because something, you know, we didn't really go into my real deep background of my past, but while I was in America, when I was in my early 20s, I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder and I had deep depression at different times in my life and panic disorders and they were even talking borderline schizophrenia at one time and all these different things and for 24 years I took medications and did all those things and thought well I don't really believe that this is true but I'll just do what they tell me because you know I was definitely at some points in my life having hallucinations and delusions and things like this Well, after 24 years of going through the mental health industry, there was never a permanent solution. And the mind kept having problems over and over again. It wasn't until I started spending time with Thai people that the mind became more peaceful, more calm. And then definitely living here in Thailand and absorbing these teachings through daily life and observations, the mind became very stable, very steady, unshakable and very focused and concentrated with deep memory. And I was able to eliminate all that medication and no longer need to see doctors or therapists or any of that stuff. And what I realized is that the mind was actually causing itself to be unwell. And through training the mind, I was able to bring stability 
to the mind where before I didn't have any life practice. I didn't have a life practice. I was just taking medicine, expecting that to change the emotions, but that's not going to change the emotions. It changes brain chemistry, but it still isn't going to make you a friendly person. It's not going to make you a kind person or a polite person. So by having this life practice, I was able to develop a stable, steady, calm, peaceful mind that no longer has the ups and downs, the sadness, the anger, the frustration that I once experienced in my life. Brilliant. Um, and my follow-up question, and we've, um, I'm sure we've talked a lot about um, throughout this um, about some of the things you do under this bracket, but I always ask people as the follow-up how they look after their own mental well-being. For me, it's meditation. It's uh, just being in the present moment. Don't think about the past. Don't think about the future. Don't hold on to any thoughts or opinions or ideas or views. Don't try to be forceful. Don't have expectations of other people. Don't judge other people. Just let other people do whatever they feel comfortable with. Eliminate the ego. Just really focusing on just being peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy through practicing being a good, wholesome person, not causing harm to other people. Brilliant. Thank you. So again, we've, we've probably covered this this next one uh, a fair bit as well, but uh, I ask guests when they come on to try and describe their own mindset. Their own mindset. How would you yeah. describe the word mindset? Like what's the definition of mindset? Again, that's open to uh, individual interpretation, but I guess okay. I see it as sort of the kind of attitude or outlook on life. Okay. So I guess my outlook on life is that in the unenlightened mind, life is very difficult and very challenging to deal with all the sad thoughts and the frustration, the guilt, the shame, the fears, the boredom, the loneliness, the shyness. Sure, there's some happiness and excitement intermixed there, but that's never permanent. And that's kind of part of the problem with the unenlightened mind is it's chasing this happiness but it's impermanent. It can't hold on to happiness. And the mind expects to be happy all the time, but it can't be. And that's one of the reasons why it goes to sadness. So learning to strip away all of this conditioning of the mind that we go through in our culture and in our daily life and kind of stripping all of this away. And you get to this point where the mind is just peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy permanently the mind never goes up and down or cycles. It just is always in the middle, very calm and content and very concentrated and focused. And I see that there's significant problems in the world everywhere you look. You know, you can see murders and rape and famine and poverty and wars and fear and you know, substance abuse and all kinds of problems in the world. And that's one of the reasons why I focus on sharing these teachings, because it's the only thing that can create essentially heaven on earth, right? Is that through everybody not harming each other and by everybody eliminating these discontent feelings of anger and sadness and guilt and shame by eliminating all that from the mind where everybody's mind is in this permanent mental state of peace, calm, serenity, and joy, then everyone 
can just be satisfied with what is without having expectations of everyone else to always be doing something for them and not being selfish. So the outlook on life is we all need to learn and practice these type of teachings so that we can all peacefully coexist with each other. And that's what I see here in Thailand is the people really have learned how to peacefully coexist with each other rather than always being hostile and aggressive with each other. Mm. It does sound very, yeah, idyllic, doesn't it? If, if we could get to that point where everyone had that, that same, uh, same outlook and, and same view. Uh, so, um, yeah, my, my next question, so we are all about sort of giving people practical ideas that they can sort of take away from listening to this and put in place and, and try out in their life. And I know we've already given people a lot of um, amazing uh, information, but do you have between one and three tips of things that you would recommend people put in place in their life, in their you know, daily practice? Or- Sure. The first one is to seek out a teacher to learn and practice these teachings so that you can receive guidance and you can learn the teachings and implement them in your daily life and see the results for yourself. As part of that is learning how to accept responsibility for your own feelings and your own emotions. If we blame everyone else, that they made me angry or that person made me frustrated, then we're blaming other people. So that means we're gonna go around and train 7.5 billion people in the world to do things our way. And good luck with that. That's gonna be a really hard thing to do. So if everyone else is the one who's making you angry, that means you're perfect and you just need to train everybody else. But if you reverse that and you accept self-responsibility for your own feelings and emotions, then what you can do is you realize you only need to train one person. You only need to train one mind, and that's going to be challenging enough, and that's your own mind. So by accepting responsibility for your own feelings and emotions, your own actions are creating certain results. Rather than blaming others, accept that responsibility, and then you essentially regain your control and your power because now you have the ability to make active decisions in your life to improve your life. But if it's everyone else's fault of why your life is not what you are thinking it should be, then you have no power to improve it. So by accepting responsibility for your own feelings and emotions, then you basically admit that, yeah, I can improve this. I can make this life better. I just need to have the teacher in order to share the wisdom of the good, wholesome teachings that through taking self-responsibility, I can improve my life. And then, of course, the third one is make sure you're meditating regularly as part of your life practice and then bring these teachings into your daily life that your life practice isn't just meditation, but it involves practicing in daily life. So just like you couldn't attain enlightenment with only meditation, you also can't attain enlightenment without meditation either. You need meditation in your life, but you also need the teachings that you can practice the teachings in daily life as well. And that's what will improve the wisdom that you have to make better and better decisions in your life. You'll make the decisions as the person, as the practitioner, but you kind of need the general guidance of the teachings in which to 
kind of frame up your life. That's why some people call Buddhist teachings a philosophy of a way to live life because the Buddha never says, well, if your boyfriend cheats on you, you know, break up with him, right? He doesn't teach like that. He just gives you kind of like, if these things happen in your life, they're going to cause harm to other people. Therefore, harm comes to you. And it's up to you through that wisdom to make good, wise choices in your life practice. But you need that teacher to give you the wisdom in order to understand the teachings. You need self-responsibility in order to accept responsibility for your feelings and emotions that you can actually make better decisions to improve your life. And one of those better decisions is to do meditation regularly and implement the teachings in your daily life. Brilliant. Thank you for sharing this. And and I, I, they're all fab, but in particular, the second one really struck me because my theme of the week across my social media has been about personal responsibility and uh, this importance of yeah taking responsibility for our thoughts, for our actions, and, and not projecting that blame out or um, giving that, I, well, I don't know whether control is the right word, but that other people have such an impact on how we feel. We're kind of giving them that power. So that just really struck me that that was my sort of theme of the week. And, um, yeah, that was one of them. Uh, thank you, uh, yeah, so much for for all the insight and, and everything that you've shared. And I've I've got your book next to me. I'm in your Facebook group. But for anyone else who really wants to find out more, where can they find you online? Uh, if you can tell us about your podcast and all of that uh, great stuff that you've got going on. Sure. The easiest place to find me is BuddhaDailyWisdom.com. That's the website, and from there you can launch out into everything else. So BuddhaDailyWisdom.com. But I do a lot of online teaching through Facebook and YouTube. I also use Zoom as well. And our Facebook page is Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. So if you went to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Daily Wisdom 999, you would find our group. And of course, the YouTube channel is Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. And those are some of the methods that I communicate the most. And then our podcast, it's the same name, Daily Wisdom, and then space hyphen space, Walking the Path with the Buddha. And I have books that are downloadable for free. The podcast and YouTube channels, of course, are free. Uh, I have an audio book that's about to come out. There are people who make donations to me in order to support my life, but I have no expectations of that. Everything that I do is offered openly and freely to everybody. And if people choose to make donations, it's up to them to do that. And I don't ever ask for it or I don't expect it. But there's certainly people who do that as a way of supporting me and sharing these teachings with them in the entire world. So to everybody's welcome to come learn and practice the teachings and discover the truth for themselves. Thank you so much, David. I've, I've really enjoyed speaking with you. And I feel very calm, actually, and more peaceful from having spent nearly an hour with you uh, talking about this. And also that I need to uh, work on my own daily practice <laughs> a little bit. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for, for everything you've shared with us today. You're very welcome. Thank you for inviting me on your show. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. 
There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.